Amen. Thank you, Scott and band, singers. Appreciate you guys today leading us to the throne in worship. I um, appreciate all of our volunteers and tech team and, and Tanner Roman, who does sound for us uh, every week and so talented, um, all of our TV crew. But Tanner apparently didn't mute my mic when I was leaving the baptistry and said, nice. And uh, I, I wish... I wish he'd kept it going longer because Tate then looked at me and said, that was a rush. <laughs> oh, man. Exciting times here in the life of our church. Um, thank you for being here today as we continue to walk through the Gospel of John. We're, we're probably not going to make it on the air. I'm just going to tell you. It's like 11.05. That's, that's my fault. Uh, it's, it's probably not going to get all on, on the air. So if you go to our website or go to... You're here in the room, so you're okay. Um, it's going to go, like, to 11.30. We cut off at, like, 11.28, so it's going to be, like, two minutes long, okay? So if you go to our website, you can watch the whole thing for those of you who are watching at home or at the beach or wherever you may be. This is the last day of June. That's hard to believe. Summer is flying by. May said, I've got to do more. Summer's almost over. I've got to get my list done for the summer. Uh, this is the last of our June series, then, as we have been looking at these I am statements that Jesus makes throughout the Gospel of John, that I am the light of the world. And today we're going to see that he is the good shepherd, as Scott pointed out. I, I'm so grateful that Scott thoughtfully plans out the service around a, a theme of where we're going with our message today. Last week we saw in John chapter 9 how Jesus healed a man who'd been born blind and how that miracle really exposed the Jewish authorities, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the guys that kind of ran the power structures in Jerusalem, it exposed their spiritual blindness. It wasn't only that this man was physically blind, but more importantly, there are many people in our world today, even those in power, maybe especially those in power, who are spiritually blind and have their eyes closed to the truth. And so we saw how these guys were so mad that Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day, and they refused to believe the testimony of the blind man himself. So they go and they get his parents, and they threaten to excommunicate the parents, and so they kind of back down. And then they bring the guy back, and he doesn't back down. And so what do they do? They kick him out. They cast him out of the synagogue, it says. And Jesus goes and finds him. He goes to the outcast, kind of like a shepherd goes after a sheep who is lost or who has gone astray. You'll see a perfect segue into John 10, the way that John's gospel is structured. It's a beautiful thing. So will you stand with me today in honor of God's word as I read our text for today? John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. 
This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, you may have a seat. You know, I have never really been around sheep before. Anybody here raise sheep as a kid or anything? Anybody have sheep or 10 sheep? Some Nanteeter up in Kentucky. Of course, name would be a shepherd. That, that makes so much sense. I don't, I don't know anything about sheep. I, I have a vague memory of helping to shear a sheep at some, I think it was like Colonial Williamsburg or something like that, but I don't, other than that, I, I have no substantial experience with sheep. But I've read that, correct me, Nan, if I'm wrong, but I've read that of all the animals in the world, sheep are utterly dependent. They are not capable of sustaining their own lives on their own. Let me give you some facts about sheep. They are literally prone to wonder. There are accounts of sheep who have wandered away from the flock and into an open fire or off of a cliff. They just wander. They are not very intelligent, apparently. They struggle to find food, even when ample fields and resources are close at hand. They're creatures of habit. They don't adapt to new environments very well. They can be spooked by the most random of things, and then at other times, they cannot be moved by the shepherd's will. They're both timid and stubborn. They have no real defense mechanisms. They're super slow. They don't really bite or kick or anything, so uh, they're, they're really, really dependent animals. There's also something I read about called cast. Cast down, have you heard of this, Nan? It's like where a sheep uh, gets over on their side and they can't get their feet back under them. So they have to have a human who literally turns them over and puts them back on their feet. They are are pretty helpless animals. Guess what the Bible compares humans to? (laughs) The metaphor that's consistent in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that we are sheep 
Psalm 100, verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. It's He who made us, and we are His. We are the sheep of His his pasture. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep, like wandering, helpless sheep, have gone astray. We are prone to wander, aren't we? Now, I love dogs. I'm a dog person, okay? Dogs are loyal. They're smart. They, they just live to please the master. They want to just make you happy when you come home, and they just wag their tails, and they just love you, and they're so faithful. Why couldn't the Bible say we are the loyal dogs of God, the good master? That would, I'd be okay with that. Why couldn't Jesus have told Peter, take care of my puppies instead of tend my sheep? Some of you may have seen these posts going around on on social media and the interwebs of dogs who've been caught doing something they shouldn't. And they're hilarious because the shame and the utter guilt that a dog can express in their eyes and in their countenance as they've, you know, eaten a a bag of chips and the the master catches them, they look up with those big sad eyes like, I'm sorry. It's amazing how expressive dogs can be. Sheep can't do that. They don't emote. They don't express affection or joy or any kind of shame like a dog does. But there's one thing that a sheep can do. Secular research, I read an article in the BBC recently that said that sheep are really remarkable in their ability to recognize people. After two years, it says that sheep can recognize up to 50 different individual people that based on their face and their voice, that sheep recognize people. You know, it was always fun for me uh, at VBS week. I love VBS. Our church is just chaos from 9 to 12. It's just madness as we had almost 100 kids here and 50 workers and uh, just so grateful to Rachel and the team that that made it all happen. Just an amazing, life-changing week that was totally worth every ounce of, of sweat and blood and tears that was put into it. But I I, I love catching my three kids now that we have three that are in VBS running from, you know, rec to snack or to, I think rec and snack was the same thing, rec to music or to Bible study or to one of the crafts or whatever it was. And I would would catch them in the hall and they'd just be running and having a great time and I'd just say, hey, you. And as soon as they'd hear my voice, they'd stop what they were doing. They'd turn and, and they knew who was calling them. They knew just from the sound of my voice, they'd look at me with a a look of joy, of recognition, and most importantly, of love. They would smile as they heard the voice of their father call out to them. No matter how loud the surrounding conditions were, no matter how much fun they were having, no matter what their friends were doing, when they heard my voice in the chaos, they would stop and look with a smile. In first century Palestine, Shepherding was was kind of an intimate occupation in some ways. The shepherd knew each one of his flock and would give them names. This is true, we know from literature, that the shepherd would name each sheep based on like physical attributes. They'd say like black face or, you know, red ear or like long legs or something. They, They would call them whatever their physical attributes were. And instead of driving the herd, if you've been to like Scotland or Ireland and seen like shepherds moving sheep from behind, Shepherds would lead sheep. They would walk in front of the flock 
and guide them to the pastures where they were headed. They would call to each sheep gently by name if that sheep needed a course correction on the way to where they were going. So where were the shepherds in Luke 2 when Jesus was born? The shepherds watched their flocks by night. They were out in the fields, right? Because shepherds would even spend the night. They would go camp among their sheep while they were out to pasture. So that's exactly why the idea of a sheep without a shepherd was so tragic. If sheep are the most helpless animal in the world, then a sheep without a shepherd is doomed. And that's exactly what Jesus saw as he moved about Israel. Look at Matthew 9, verse 36. It'll be on the screen. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If we're going to understand this passage today, then I think we need to embrace both our own sheepishness and the good shepherd as well. You know, it's a very much against our modern American sensibilities to say that we're helpless or in need of someone to stay with us and tend to us. I'm a pretty independent person. I don't like to be told what to do. But Jesus promised what? In the Great Commission, never to leave us or forsake us, that lo, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. So I like the way that, that Kent Hughes in his commentary breaks this passage down into three sections. I'm going to follow that today. In, in verses one through six, we see the shepherd's relationship to his sheep. And then in verses seven through 10, we're going to see the shepherd's provision for his sheep. What does he give them? And then finally, in verses 11 through 18, we're going to talk about the shepherd's heart for his sheep. So his relationship to the sheep, his provision for the sheep, and his heart for the sheep. So let's look at his relationship. The relationship of the shepherd and the sheep is one of familiarity. They know one another. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. Truly, truly, I say to you. Again, all throughout John, Jesus uses that form, doesn't he? Truly, truly. Amen, amen is what it is in Greek. It means, listen to what I'm saying. This is the truth. Verily, verily, those of you who grew up with King James Bibles, verily I say unto you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So let me give you a setup of Palestinian shepherding methods, okay? There were basically two kinds of sheepfolds in, in first century ancient Near East. The first one was like this, Gabe. It was in a, a courtyard. Show that picture, Gabe, if you will. Do you have it? There it is. In like the family's home, they would just kind of build these wooden rails and gates and, and carve out a nook for the sheep to be in, uh, in their family's home. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Go to the next one, Gabe. It's more like this. This was a communal uh, sheepfold, basically a big circle made of stones. And they, they would have several families who would store their sheep there. It was for the whole community to use. It was a, a low-walled stone corral. And often a professional gatekeeper would be hired to, to make sure that no sheep got in or out. 
And everyone would, would just keep their sheep there, which seems like an obvious problem to us, right? How do you know whose sheep are whose? How can you tell the Parker's sheep from the Hogue's sheep or whoever sheep that you have in there? So this is what Jesus was talking about here. The shepherd knew which ones were his. The shepherd would simply walk up to the gatekeeper, which the gatekeeper would, would, would open to the shepherd. The shepherd would walk in after gaining access through the door to the sheepfold, and he would say, hey, long legs, hey, red ear, and they would begin to, to separate, and his sheep would come to him, and he would lead out his sheep into the green pastures so that they could thrive and flourish. So just like my kids know my voice because they've heard it just about every day of their entire lives, the sheep knew the voice of the shepherd who would call to them. So the question for us then, do we know the voice of our shepherd? Do we recognize the voice of Jesus? There's a, a very popular um, devotional that a lot of you have read and seen called Jesus Calling. And it's written from the voice of Jesus. It's written by a human, but it's what she has heard from Jesus to her. Jesus calling his voice. So ask this, how is it that my kids know my voice? Again, it's because they're familiar with me. They've spent countless hours throughout their lives with me as their dad. And so they know my voice when they hear it. We've laughed together, prayed together, cried together, played together. Do we spend time with Jesus like that? Do we spend time with Jesus to where we recognize his voice when he calls? Look at verse four again. When, he, when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. A stranger they won't follow, but they'll flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. So who is it that we're following today? Whose voice are we listening to? There are lots of voices that are competing for our attention in this world. Which voice cuts through to us? Which voice do we recognize in order to direct us and lead us in our daily lives? These are important things to think about, aren't they? Again, verse 6 tells us that these religious authorities don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is saying because they're all the blind Pharisees from the last chapter. They are literally the blind leading the blind. They are ineffective shepherds. They are shepherds who lead not to flourishing, but to destruction. And these are the guys who are responsible for teaching and instructing all of Israel, all of God's chosen people. They're supposed to, to set the bar for what it means to be a Jew, to be one of God's people, and they're leading them astray. And so then Jesus gives them another angle in verse 7. Jesus again says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You know, I have to give our amazing organist, Nathan Burbank, credit for, uh, you know, this next application point because he came running into my office weeks ago, weeks ago, like at least two or three weeks ago. And he, he said, are, are you going to show the picture? Uh, you, know, you know, the sheepfold? 
And I said, what are you talking about, Nathan? <laughs> he said, you know, when, when you get to John 10, are you going to show the picture? I was like, I, I don't know. Why? <laughs> I haven't gotten that far. I'm not I'm working on a dissertation right now. I'm not really thinking about everything, you know, three weeks in advance. Why would I show the picture of the sheepfold? He said, oh, man. And then he sat down. And he was like, it, it really changed the way I understand this whole passage when I saw this. Go back to that picture, Gabe, of the corral. I said, what are you, what are you talking about, Nate? He said, there's no door on the sheepfold. There's no door. It's just an opening. And so the shepherd would sleep in the opening. The famous British preacher and author, G. Campbell Morgan, early 20th century guy, tells a story about he was on a, a steamship going across the Atlantic. He made 54 trips across the Atlantic to America and Britain. And he, and he ran into Sir George Adam Smith, who was the leading Old Testament scholar of the late 1800s. And, and he told him a story uh, while they were on this steamship. Sir George had been traveling in the Holy Land, and one day he was traveling with a guide, and they came across a shepherd and his sheep. And he fell into conversation with them, and the man showed him the fold into which the sheep were led at night. It consisted of four walls with a way in. Sir George said to him, that is where they go at night? Yes, said the shepherd. And when they are in there, they are perfectly safe. But there is no door, said Sir George. I am the door, said the shepherd. He was not a Christian man. He was not speaking the language of the New Testament. He was speaking purely from the Arab shepherding standpoint. Sir George looked at him and said, what do you mean by the door? And the shepherd said, when the light's gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie down in the open space and no one ever goes out but across my body. And no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. Jesus is our great door. He's the one who provides assurance that nothing can harm us. It's got to go through him first. He's the one who provides peace and security against the flaming arrows of the evil one who's trying to destroy us. He's also the door that leads out to the, the beautiful pasture where, where we can find flourishing and nourishment when the night's over. Psalm 23, I hadn't heard that song before. That's a great, great song. That wonderful text that Scott just sang describes the Lord as our shepherd who provides for all that we could ever want. He leads us gently beside still waters, makes us to lie down in green pastures and rest and find nourishment and be satisfied. That's why Jesus says in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. This has become one of my go-to verses. It, it impacts every day what I teach and preach and say and do. I, I have to preach it to myself often. It's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, Christianity is not about being good and someday going to heaven. That's not what this is about. Christianity is about the good news, the reality of what God is doing in this universe. He's, he's rescuing 
all of this broken creation back to himself through Jesus Christ. He's restoring, he's renewing, he's recreating, he's redeeming all that was wrecked and ruined on that day when Adam and Eve chose their way over God's way and plunged what once was a very good creation into death and darkness and decay. Sin leads to destruction every time. You know that from experience, I do. But God offers life, not destruction, life, and life to the fullest, abundant life both now and forevermore. That's good news. Every one of us has our own idea of what the good life looks like. For some people, the good life is a life of leisure. I can retire and live the good life. Some, it's a life of acquiring more stuff. If I get more things, then I'll live the good life. For some, it's about success. If I can just be famous, if I can just be the CEO, if I can just make partner, then I'll live the good life. Other people think it's about social status. If I have the more friends, the more popular, the more influence I have over people, then I'll live the good life. But Christians know that the good life, the abundant life, is found only in following the one who is both the door and the shepherd, who leads us into green pastures. There's no better way to flourish and thrive than to follow the good shepherd. Do we really believe that, though, today, that the gospel of Jesus is better than anything that this world has to offer? Our enemy, you know, the deceiver, that's what Satan means. It means deceiver. It's constantly whispering these lies in our ears. He's the one who's behind a multi-billion dollar advertising industry that is constantly trying to tell us, oh, if only you can acquire this thing, then you'll be happy. If only you can get enough money to have this item, then you'll live the good life and be satisfied. Whether it's a razor or a car or whatever it is, advertising is meant to separate us from our money, not to give us the good life. The enemy is trying to destroy us spiritually. He's trying to break us down spiritually, emotionally. Do you know what kind of mental health crisis we have in this country? That's the work of sin and Satan. Do you know he's trying to ruin families? He's trying to destroy marriages, divorce, pornography, all these things that are wrecking families around our world. That's Satan. Physically, he's trying to destroy us. When I hear about people having knee and shoulder replacements, when I hear about cancer, when I hear about uh, Cheryl Gentry's fusion in her spine that has come apart, it's the work of Satan. He's trying to destroy us. That's not God's way. God's way is life-giving, abundant life. Let's close by looking at the shepherd's heart for his sheep. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus Christ is not some hired hand. He's not an advertiser trying to manipulate us into a prophet. He's not a charlatan preacher either, trying to swindle us out of some money so he can get a new jet or new car or whatever, boost his own ego, a lot of preachers. We can trust that Jesus is good and true because of the nature of his love for us. His love is radical. His overwhelming, reckless love is proven on the cross. You know, Trey's gonna preach on John 15 in September, Lord willing. And in that text, in verse 13, it says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You say, okay, that's great. But then the next verse says, and you are my friends. Jesus was going to lay down his life for us. Four times in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Four separate occasions, I lay down my life. Remember this, the soldiers did not capture Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, did they? We know that he could have called down 10,000 angels if he wanted to at any moment. His life was not taken from him on the cross. It was given freely as he drank the cup of wrath that God had reserved for sin. And don't forget that this isn't just about us. We have a tendency to read the Bible narcissistically and individually and with autonomy. That's not what this is about. This is about corporate reading. Look at verse 16. Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. We have a society just outside these walls, 100 new people moving to Nashville every day, and I guarantee you most of them are desperately in need of a savior. We have an opportunity to partner with the Holy Spirit in gathering these sheep into the flock, the one flock, the true flock of Jesus Christ. He must bring them along also so that they can experience the abundant life as well. So two key questions for us that we mentioned earlier that we need to deal with today. First, do we know our shepherd like he knows us? Do we recognize his voice out of the many competing voices that are crying out for our attention day in, day out? Does his voice rise singularly above the din of this world and cause us to look up for him and smile because we have a good, good father, because we have a special, intimate familiarity with our shepherd? Second, what is the good life? What does it look like to have abundant life? Is it what this world offers or is it what Jesus provides? What does it mean to really thrive? When I was a freshman at Franklin High School, go Rebels, uh, I, was, I was 14, I was coming from a school that did not feed into Franklin, so I didn't know anybody. It's just a few miles south on Hillsborough Road from here. And, and I was probably 100 pounds soaking wet at 14, okay, and I was, trying to navigate this huge school, 1,600 people at a time. I think it's more than that now. And, and I was terrified. And I just, I just kept my head down in, in between classes and just tried to get through the day. 
just trying to survive without some upperclassman shoving me into a locker, or I didn't want to blow my social credibility as a freshman knowing that I have a four-year career here. I, I needed to be cool. I needed to not ruin my high school career because that would ruin my whole life, I was sure, as a 14-year-old. So I just tried to get through each day. It was miserable. It's a miserable way to live, isn't it? Just trying to survive. Many of you here today, I know, feel like you're just trying to get through the day. You're just surviving. I've been there. It wasn't until I experienced Jesus Christ more fully as a sophomore that I began to live into the freedom that he offered, where I could hold my head up and smile at people and be friends with different groups around my school and not care how I dressed or how I looked or how I sounded because it didn't matter because I was Jesus Christ's own sheep. And that's all that mattered to me. That's when I began to experience the joy and the security and the freedom that I never had before. And I ended up loving my high school experience. I had a great four years. I still sing the alma mater when we drive past it, don't I, kids? <laughs> so the question is, are you surviving or are you thriving with the abundant life? How do you live into that kind of surrender? How do you live into the abundant life? How do we begin to know Jesus and recognize his voice better? We look at his heart. It's his love for us that allows us to respond in full surrender. We have to focus on the fact that our shepherd did not withhold his own life from us, but gave it freely because he loves us. He gave us all of himself, taking our sin, our shame, our guilt upon himself. When we reflect on the glory and grace of the cross of Jesus Christ, then we are compelled to live into the abundant life with our good shepherd that he came to bring us. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us as the good shepherd who leads us into the sheepfold where we dwell secure with you, knowing that nothing can get to us, nothing can harm us. Yes, we suffer, but we know that the evil in this world cannot touch us because you are the door that guards us. But you're also the door that leads to flourishing. You're the one who guides us out into the green pastures and gives us rest from the weariness of this world. You give us a sense of purpose and meaning in our lives as you lead us to where we need to go. Help us to know you more. Help us to follow you more dearly, more nearly. God, I pray that you would enable us to be on this mission to help gather the other sheep that are not yet in the fold. We know that there are countless people around us every day who are lost and searching. Give us a heart for your sheep like you have. God, we thank you for lives that have been changed and transformed, lives at VBS, lives like Tate Richardson, who experiences the rush of your salvation, the rush of your Holy Spirit in his life. We pray that we would see more people transformed by the glory of grace that you share with us freely through Jesus Christ. It's in his powerful and precious name that we pray, amen. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I saw Tate be baptized and I felt the Holy Spirit tugging on my heart saying, it's time, 
If you're ready to take that step of, of believer's baptism, we, we believe that when you reach an age where you are able to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the good shepherd of my life and I surrender all that I am to him, then you make that profession of faith public and then you follow Jesus' example in believer's baptism. If you want to do that, there's no better time than, than coming forward and telling someone that than right now. We're gonna have a time of invitation. Maybe you're ready to join Woodmont Baptist Church. Maybe you've experienced this church as a family of faith already and you're ready to be a part of this family. We have multi-generations, we have babies, we have senior adults, we have everything in between because that's what a family has. And if you need a family of faith to do this journey with, then we would love to wrap our arms around you and do this life with you. Whatever it is you need to do today, will you please stand? We're gonna sing the, the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. We're gonna sing together. Let's stand and sing it this time.